0: Great, good morning. Wonderful. If you've got a Bible here with you, that's fantastic. I'm going to be reading just a moment from 1 Peter. It's a letter at the back of the New Testament. I know that some of the parents will be shooting out and coming back in just while we're getting ourselves sorted. I'll just plug this. Just before I get going, I'd love to plug an Ealing food bank. I don't know how many of you have seen these kind of things. It's been in the metro, it's been on the news, it's been on the telly. Uh, food Bank was something organised by a church uh, down in the southeast of England initially, and basically the idea was that people bought a little bit extra when they went shopping and gave it into this organisation that distributed locally. So it's raised from local people and given to local people. And, uh, I mean, with all the cuts that have been going on and the benefit changes and all that kind of stuff, thousands, tens of thousands of people have been helped in this country by Food Bank. And uh, there's one being set up in Ealing. In fact, Chris and Tricia, that are part of the church, are really spearheading that. Uh, we've been working on it through Chris since January. There are now 40 different churches that are getting involved, and so he's away this morning talking about it with some others. There's a meeting about it this Tuesday. It's at um, Acton um, Oak Tree Anglican Fellowship, 216 Acton High Street. They're going to do information this Tuesday. There's going to be a training evening in September. They hope for the first centre to be launched in September. And then the idea is they're going to do several across the borough. So I think there's going to be one in Acton. I think there might be one in North Old, uh, sorry, North Olds, Greenford area, South. I know they're going to be doing them all across the borough and going to be coordinating it together. So it's a brilliant work to get involved in. it be great to be praying for Chris. I'm sure there'll be, God will open many doors. Just last week, I was in Tesco's in Ealing and they were gathering food. And I said to them, Oh, we're doing this food bank. And the lady said, Oh, well, I'm the coordinator for Tesco's. How could we possibly get involved? you turn around and look at all the shelves. And I said, well, I'd look quite like some of that, really. <laughs> but reality is they're honestly saying we'd love to be getting involved and helping out on this. So it'd be a great thing if you can get along there on Tuesday. If you can't, Chris will be here next week. We can ask him some more details. I'd love us to get behind that. Okay, hopefully you found one Peter too. Just before I kick into this, I want to ask you the question, what is it you live for? What is your mission in life? Now, for some of you, you don't realize it's going to be food bank. No, I'm not trying to preach into food bank. I just want to ask what your mission is. When I was a kid, there was a TV program, and it always used to start with this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is the mission then came. It then exploded, you know, and they had this decision. It was turned into the film, wasn't it, with the Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. The thing is that, that in those days, it's almost like just a few secret agents ever had a mission. But I think now, most people, most organisations would say they've got a mission in life. University of West London, which is here in Ealing, says their mission is this, to enhance the social, cultural and economic lives of the communities we serve. So they're saying, look, this is clearly what we're about. Ealing Council, and we're meeting in their building, I guess you might call it their motto, would say their mission is progress with unity. So Ealing's a very diverse place. We know there's 172 different nationalities live within this borough of 325,000 people, and they're saying we want to progress with unity. Let's be honest, most of us travel on the tube during the week. Their mission is this, to deliver a world-class underground for a world-class city. I think, yeah, world-class city. Don't we love living here, eh? GSK. Yeah, you know, the manufacturer of drugs, I think it's just on the edge of Brentford, they said this in a mission statement, we are dedicated to improving the quality of human life by enabling people to do more, feel better, and live longer. I thought, wow, what a great mission statement. So I'd like to ask now, what about you? Do you have a mission statement? Do you have something that you think, actually, this is what I'm all about? If, if, if you were to cut me open, not literally, <laughs> and you were to see inside of me, you'd say, this is what I'm about. Someone said this, church is about who we are as the people of God, living distinctively by grace through the Spirit under the reign of King Jesus to the glory of our Heavenly Father. I know that's quite a long mission statement, isn't it? And so actually, you have to have you know, a very long business card to fit it on. Let's read this, because I think Peter is writing a challenge to this church to say, come on, guys, this is what our mission is all about. 1 Peter, chapter 2 and verse 9. I love these verses. If you've read the Bible or you've been in church a bit, you'd have heard them, I'm sure. But you, he's writing to the church. I think that's true of us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. Jesus, we're asking that you'd speak to us through your word. We do believe that your spirit inspired this. We believe that he's here now. We want to open up our minds and our hearts to hear from him. Oh, f- forgive us for rushing in and just thinking, oh, we'll quickly take a bit of this and move on. I pray that we will be those. Actually, what, what do we live for? I pray that we'll hear something from your word that actually impacts us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. That in a month's time, we're still thinking, oh God, you said, and I'm believing it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those that have not been around, this is your first week. This is my fourth week in the the book of One Peter. I'm going to do six weeks on it. If I had to identify this book in three words, I would say this. Identity shapes activity. Identity shapes activity. So if you understand who your identity is, it shapes the way you behave. I'm aware that we've got three or four Americans with us this morning, so if I said to them, the 4th of July, you know what I'm saying? I'm surprised they're not already stood and singing the national anthem, you know what I'm saying? I mean, really, it should be hands on the chest, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You see, because that's your identity, it shapes your activity, doesn't it? I mean, it will be true. I know there's a large Irish population that live in, in this borough. Actually, if you said to them St. Patrick's Day, it would influence their activity, wouldn't it? You know what I'm saying? They're often not only planning what they do on St. Patrick's Day, they're planning a quiet day the day after. Because actually, their whole identity shapes the way they behave. I don't know if you watched the tennis last Sunday afternoon. I must admit, I was gripped by it. I would say with Andy Murray... I think he thought like a champion and played like a champion. You see, let's be honest, a year ago, we know that he lost. But then after that, he won the Olympic gold. After that, he won the US Open. And then suddenly, it's almost like he now thinks, I'm a winner. And it impacted his, the way that he behaved. It impacted his life. Now, I think that Peter is saying this. And this is true in so many different levels on life, isn't it? I mean, uh, Gillian McKeith. Some of you might not have heard of Gillian McKeith, but I'm sure you'd have heard of what she said. You are what you eat. This is what it used to be, you know what I'm saying? Basically, the kind of things you eat that impacts who you are. Peter, I think, was saying this to the church. Actually, you should be behaving the way that you are inside. Now, I'm not going to conflict with the Bible, but the headings weren't there in the original. We know that, don't we? The chapters and the numbers weren't there. I think that if Peter, when he wrote this letter, I think after verse 10, he would have said that's halfway. Because I think the two verses that we first look at are are the beginning of the book. And it's almost like right up till then, he's been saying, this is your identity. And in fact, from verse 11 onwards, we don't have a little split in our Bible. I think he's now saying, and this is your activity. So we've done a sort of crossover here on the verses that I'm looking at. Two of the verses is summarizing who your identity is in Christ. And then the other two verses saying, well, if that's true, this will be true, the way that you live. So let's just quickly look at that. Basically, these verses, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. What Peter has done is he's grabbed some threads from the Old Testament and he's pulled them all together. And they basically think he's taken it from two main passages. One was in Exodus when they'd just been given the covenant. And it's almost like this is why you've got the covenant and this is what's going to happen. Basically, the purpose of the covenant is you understand you know God and you are light to the nations. And the other part that they think he's pulled the thread from in the Old Testament was Isaiah. And Isaiah was speaking to the people and said, look, you messed up on that covenant a little bit. And so you're going to go into exile. You're going to be punished, but God will come in grace. And so what I want you to understand is your privileged position. And so he takes these two threads from the Old Testament and he says these things you are a chosen people. If you wanted to know where that was going, that's from Isaiah 43, verse 20. It says, my chosen people. That is true. If you're a Christian, you could say, put your hand on your heart and say, I'm chosen by God. I used to be a primary school teacher. I remember hearing a story which moved me about two kids going in the playground. One was adopted and one wasn't. You know what I'm saying? Natural. And it's funny because the adopted one said to the other kid, he said, oh, your parents had no choice with you, but my parents chose me. That's how he felt. He thought, I, I've been adopted. I feel special. I've been chosen. Well, I think that's how I feel God feels about us. It's not like, oh, I've got no choice. It's not like you turned up. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, I've got another picture on the Facebook page. Out pops another one. No, actually, he's thinking, guys, I chose you. I mean, isn't that amazing? God chose us. Peter starts writing to the book, to God's elect. God chosen is an act of grace. I think this, and we need to listen carefully. We're a chosen people, not a choice people. So it's not about pride in who we are. It's about the grace and the God who chose us. You know what I'm saying? It's not about, oh, well, actually, we're really special. And wow, if you realize how good I am. No, actually, it's all about him choosing us by his grace. But we are chosen people. I think, what's the closest example? I mean, it's funny, even in the worship, you'd have all these, you know, Easters West, and you think, oh, it just doesn't quite describe how much God has done. Any illustration I bring to this, it's not quite adequate. I guess the closest I could think of is even my marriage. oh, I, I chose Nicky. 21 years ago, this month, we got married. You said, oh, we chose each other, we chose to be together. The closeness and intimacy, that is how God feels about you. That is your identity. You might have turned up in church and you might think, Pete, I've overslept, I feel rough, I've had a I have had don't like the heat. You know, I've sweated in every crack of my body, I didn't even know I had some. You might turn up and just think, God, this has just been terrible. I tell you, the Bible says you're a chosen person. You're chosen by God. Oh, Pete, I've messed up. We're singing about forgiveness. I don't feel that. You are chosen by God. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? If we just went home with that, you'd think that would be enough. But then he plows into this. He says, you are a royal priesthood. This is taken from the Exodus one, Exodus 19, verse 6. This is not just a, a sort of priesthood of all believers. Priesthood, I mean, it was a royal priesthood. It was one belonging to the king. Let's be honest, I I don't know if you're into all that kind of stuff. I saw this week on the television, outside the hospital where they think William and Kate are going to have their baby, there's already something like 60 photographer's ladders. You know what I'm saying? They've already marked it all out. They've already got tape on the floor. These ladders had labels on them, CNN or BBC. You know, these people, they want to be there. Why? Because they know that this child has been born into royalty. You can't choose that. You're born into it, aren't you? That's what the Bible says. We're born into this royal family when we're born again. Privilege. A, a priest was one who came in before God, one who is literally had authority in the people, one who had access to God. What Peter is writing to the church is saying, that is who you are. I mean, the priest could come into the presence of God once saying, This is the kind of people you are. Oh, Peter, I don't feel that. Peter is writing to them saying, This is who you are. This is your identity. What else does he say to them? He says, You are a holy nation, taken from Exodus 19, verse 6. Holy and distinct. I don't think holiness is just moral separation, although we often think of that. I think holiness is actually a sense of uh, coming in and being with God, dwelling with God, knowing God intimately, knowing God closely. I think our danger is so often we think, "Oh, I'm not holy." What we're really saying is, "I've messed up. Yeah, you know, I-, I told a lie." I sped on the way to church. I was angry with the kids. Oh, I don't feel very holy today. Actually, holiness is not about what we're stopping. I think it's about who we're coming close to. We are a holy nation because God dwells amongst us. I mean, I love that about when we gather together. I mean, I think the band serves us brilliantly. I never want to take away from that. But what I really love is God is here. I love that about even the community groups, you gather on a Wednesday night, and I think, I don't know what it's going to be like, but what I do believe is three or four are gathered, God is there. You think, wow, that's, that's what holiness means, doesn't it? Separation for him. It says, we are a people belonging to God. This comes out of Exodus 19, my treasure possession. It comes out of Isaiah 43, my chosen people. I mean, this is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, God it's got a hold of us. Why do you think it says Redeemer on the tin? Because it's all about Him. That's what we honestly feel, isn't it? I think that just inspires me. That's why I want to worship Him. That's why I think oh, often, you know, you think, oh, wouldn't it be great just to sing and sing and sing of His praise? If you're visiting here, you might think, golly, they've sung enough already. <laughs> We're looking forward to today when we get in heaven. Well, I don't know, singing's not going to stop, is it? There's going to be some feasting, so I don't know if you can sing with a mouthful, but you know what I'm saying? In our hearts, we'll be singing to God forever. Someone says this, praise is more than thanksgiving. Praise not only offers the sacrifice of thanksgiving for God's deliverance, but praise adores the God who delivers. And that is part of what it is. We're not just saying, oh God, we're thankful for what you've done. We say we adore you for who you are. That's what it means to be a people that belong to God. So it then says here, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. I mean, this is a huge picture. And if we'd have had long enough, we could have looked at all these threads and said, well, actually, where did God dwell? He dwelled in the temple. That was the building in the Old Testament. And actually, what's Peter saying now? You're the temple. God dwells here. What do we know about the Old Testament? Actually, if you were a priest and you were related to Aaron, then you had access to God. Peter says, actually, now you're all priests because of Jesus Christ, and therefore you have access to God. Actually, we know in the Old Testament there are a sense of chosen people. Why? Because they were through Abraham, this sense of being called. Peter says, actually, you're now chosen because of Christ. And so this is wonderful, wonderful picture, isn't it, of saying, well, actually, yeah, identity impacts activity, he's saying, this is your identity. I would love to encourage you to say, look, this is your identity. When I was a kid, you know, they, they used to have an If It doesn't say Kellogg's on the box. It's not Kellogg's in the box. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like they're trying to say, get the real McCoy. Get the real branding. And I feel there's almost a sense of Christ on the box. God is... It? And I'm sorry, I won't stamp on you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but there can be this thing when actually it's almost like if you're a Christian, it's not as like good saying, it's Christ on the box, it's Christ on the box. This is your identity. This is who you are. And I mean, Peter, when he's writing, you think, "Whoa, hey! Or if you're British, you think, hmm, that sounds good. No, you know what I'm saying? We, surely we could, we could be enthusiastic and excited about this because this is what God has done for us. This is what Peter's writing to this church. He's saying, wow. now I think there then becomes a challenge and Peter brings that challenge out. So he says, "You are that you may. You see, I think your identity must impact your behavior. So what's my identity? I'm a brother. I've got two brothers. I'm a husband, I'm married to Nikki, I'm a father, I've got three kids. Those identities must shape the way I behave. You know what I'm saying? You think, well, actually, if I'm going to be a husband, well, then you keep yourself for your wife. I'm going to be a dad, you're going to provide for your kids. If I'm going to be a brother, I might forget a card, but I will text them on their birthday, you know what I'm saying? I think, how do I connect? How do I spend time with them? You see, who you are impacts how you live. And so Peter is saying, I want you to understand who you are, that you may. And I think, how do we bring these two together? This is taken from Isaiah 43, verse 21. So they may declare my praise. David says, doesn't it, in Psalm, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. You are saved to sing out, not to be silent. And I think this is our very identity. So when we look at this whole thing, and I want to be thinking a little bit about mission today, we are saved. Why? To make a difference, because that's who we are. John Piper, who as uh, a church leader and prolific author from the United States, says this, he has given us our identity, this is talking about God, in order that his identity might be proclaimed through us he's given us our identity in order that his identity might be proclaimed through us hey if you fully understand who you are what you really realize is this is that so you can declare who he is Wayne Grudem, who's another commentator, he's written a systematic theology, some of you might have got that book. He says, God's purpose in redeeming us is not simply our own enjoyment, but that we might glorify him. A whole, you know, so you think, God, wow, why has he done this for me? Well, actually, he's done it that you may, that you may. The author to the Hebrews writes in Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. It's almost like this is our identity that we can declare him, that we could speak about him. Paul writes to the church in Rome, doesn't he? Therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, And I think this is the whole thing. If we really understood our identity in God, we'd understood why. Live in the world in such a way that people will ask our reason for hope. Now, again, if you think of the big picture, I think, why did Isaiah say they were going to go into exile? I think he'd say because actually they were called to be the special people, but they didn't demonstrate God in such a way that people asked for their hope and they were punished. And I think we are called to be those that live and he's our reason for hope. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, so it's later on in the book, and I appreciate I'm jumping around a little bit. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. You will sometimes need to speak out what your hope is. And sometimes you would just need to act it out. So it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 1, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that any of them do not believe the word. They may be won over without words, but by the behavior of their wives. So actually, how do we express our love for him? How do we express our trust in him? By our actions and by our words. Now, I've told you before, I'm trying to look at themes of Peter rather than just single verses. And, and please, I would love to have read the whole thing out. If you look at your Bibles from verse chapter 2, verse 13, down to chapter 17, I would say that he's saying, you are to be a light, a witness You are to express who you are in society. If you look at verse 18 down to verse 25, I think what he's trying to say is, actually, we're on mission in the workplace. And I think then if you look at chapter 3 and verse 1 down to verse 7, he's talking about actually you are to demonstrate who you are in the home. And so what he's really trying to say is, look, come on, we are the those that are caught up on mission, whether it's in society, in the workplace, in the home, you've got to apply this principle that we could win people over for him. Now, I want to throw something in here. And I know that, you know, I'm trying to get you thinking, we're trying to understand scripture. I don't think that Peter was saying, you just got to bring them to an event. I think he's saying, your lives are the event. I don't think he's saying, you just got to bring them to the event. I think what he's saying is, your lives are the event. He's saying, the way that you live should raise such a question that people look to God. The way you act, and the way that you speak. So I just think about this. Think about your life as really practical as you possibly can. Yeah? I think, what kind of things do you do every day? You travel, you eat, you've got chores, you walk the dog, you play with the kids. There's some things that you think, this is what I do every day. Some things you do every week. You might think about shopping, watching a favorite TV program, The Apprentice maybe, exercise. Maybe you do that once a week. Or some things you think about monthly. I was going to say gardening. My father's coming up tomorrow, so I will garden, make sure it's ready for my my father. Getting your hair cut, visiting the cinema. There's certain things in life that you do daily, some things you do weekly, and some things that you do monthly. Now what I would think is Peter is trying to say, how do you live out a missional life in all those ways? Well, I think there's some things that you need to add in. One, and this is a huge challenge for us in London, how do you do it in a community. So, you know, we talk about community groups. The idea is it shouldn't be just Wednesday night. It should be we just do life together. So how do you involve other people in your daily activities, your weekly activities, or your monthly activities? The other thing is, how do you involve people that aren't in the church in that? How do you involve those that you think, well, they don't yet know Jesus, but I'd love them to be involved in daily, weekly, or monthly activities? And then I guess the third thing I would say is how do you ensure that involving people from the church or people outside the church, that you've got the gospel in your daily, weekly, and monthly activities? Someone says this, missional is not an event we tack onto our already busy lives. It is our life. Mission should be the way we live, not something we add on to life. We can be missional in everyday life without overloading our busy schedules. You see, I'm aware that I could do a talk like this and, oh, well, this is who I am, therefore I've got to... And we think, oh, Pete, I'm busy. Oh, Pete, you know, uh, to be honest, and I've often talked about this, you know, uh, I I feel like sometimes I've had to develop gills because I can't keep my head above water and I need to breathe and I'm drowning. You know what I'm saying? And you think, oh, God, how do I trust God? And you're going to ask me to do something more, something extra? No, actually, what I'm really trying to say is how do we change slightly the way that we live so that actually we reflect Him. I want to be really, really practical about this. I would say one thing: you can do is just eat with other people. I know it sounds bizarre. I mean, I, I'm sure it's me. I'd like to eat at least three times a day. Why not just connect and have lunch with somebody else? I, I embarrassed my wife. I mean, I guess that's a problem when you marry the preacher, isn't it? You know, I'm saying she works in a school, and on Friday lunchtime they all go out for lunch. And she can feel such pressure over work. She thinks, Do I go out for lunchtime or do I do an an extra hour in the classroom? I could try and get a few more jobs done. And I think, no, you've got to go out because actually when you eat with people, you chat with people, you build friendship with people, don't you You connect with people. Yeah, some of you might live in a house with other, other folk. You think, well actually, why don't I just cook a meal and say, Come on, let's just get together and eat together. Warm weather like this, you think, oh, let's just fire up the barbecue and invite a neighbor around. I think eating together is just a great way of connecting. Number two, how can we make this really practical as a church that we live out who we are? I would say this, walk. I mean, it is really practical, isn't it? Golly, you really? Yeah, I think if you walk, don't drive. Catch the bus. Why? Because you meet local people. And I think the danger is otherwise we just jump straight into the car and get straight there. And I think actually, if we're just walking down the road, what I love about where I live, we can't park, well, I mean, you could park outside our house, but often the space is not there, is that I nearly always have to walk around to try and find where the car's parked. And it's amazing how many people you can say hello to. <laughs> I've got a car, have you seen it? No. <laughs> but you suddenly think, actually, you just connect with people. Some of you know we lived in Australia for a year, and I thought one of the biggest downsides of that is we had a carport, you know, so we'd jump out the air-conditioned house into the air-conditioned car, and the carport went up, you know, it's a bit like Thunderbirds ago. <laughs> out we went. You don't get to talk to anyone, and then you just turn up in wherever you're going to be. I think we've got a brilliant opportunity just connect with people. Number three, how could you really be missional in life? I think Be regular. What do we mean by that? Go to the same place each day, each week. Go to the gym the same time of day. You know, get your hair cut at the same place. Because I think when you're regular, that's when you just start connecting with people. And I think surely what we want to do is we want to live out who we are and bring that to others. I think pursuing hobbies is a great way of doing this. I I feel challenged myself. and, And so for the last couple of weeks, now I've been going along to Ealing Eagles. I like to run or jog, depends how hot it is, you know, three times a week. But I've always done it on my own, really, because I guess it's just uh, a little bit more convenient. And then you think, Well, actually, if I went on a Monday night and a meet down at the Eden Common, suddenly there's like 50 people that are all out running. And if you can keep up with them, you can talk, you know, for the next hour. So you think, well, look, why not do something like that? And it could be that with you. You might not be into running. My mum's not here today, so I'll embarrass my mum. She's into knitting, You know what I'm saying? Sam, you could go and join a knitting class. You know, you just think, hey, why don't I meet up with some people and knit together? But it's amazing, because you suddenly got an hour, you can just talk. Okay, how do I keep this practical? Talking. I, I know this sounds really bizarre. So many of us even email colleagues at work. I was reading an article this week that in open plan offices, people will still email somebody on the desk next to them. I even read about couples that were outdating, that would end up twittering each other rather than talk to each other across the table. I mean, you know, that's shocking. And maybe unless it was so racy, you know what I'm saying? They thought, I better not say this in public. But you just think, actually, where is this genuine communication? How do we really talk to one another? And talking isn't just what we say, it's listening. And I think that so often that is a part of what we're to be. If we really want to be missional and connect, how do we genuinely listen to others? Number six, volunteer. Volunteer. If you think, hey, I'd love to live out this sort of mission and this is what I'm called to be, then I would say volunteer. I'm a part of the PTA, Parent and Teacher Association, at the secondary school where my kids go. And you just think, actually, what it does is it means there's regular events that, you know, it seems like 10 out of a school of, you know, 2,000, but I won't go into that at the moment. We turn up and do the teas and coffees at each event. But suddenly you feel like you're connecting. And say so Thursday night, they say, oh, why don't you all come around for dinner? So we're around there for dinner, just because we volunteered. Whilst we're there, someone just says to Nikki, what's it mean to be a Christian? Well, I go to church, but I don't know God. And Nicky says, well, this is how you could know God. And, and then Nicky said, well, actually, I'm filled with the Spirit. And, th- and this person saying to us at the PTA event, I'd really like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you think, why is that? Because we volunteer. And it's just a great way to connect and get to know people. I thought I'd just got to drop this in. I volunteered at the Olympic opening ceremony last year. Some of you will know, you know, they did, when the rings were on fire and all the flames were burning down or when the tree came up, I was one of those guys. And if you didn't spot me, go back and check it, and I was there. (laughs) You know, to take part in that, it was a 15-minute performance. It took me 150 hours of rehearsing and we had to do it across in East London. I mean, I'm not saying I could do it all the time, but it just seemed a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Was it worth it? Oh, come on. I mean, you can ask my autograph later. I mean, I've performed in (laughs) the opening ceremony of the Olympics. I mean, I normally don't perform for less than a billion now. (laughs) I'll tell you what I found fascinating. When you volunteer a thing like that, how much time I sat around, you know, because obviously, literally, we had earphones in, there's thousands being moved at a time how many times people ask me, oh, what do you do? I went to church. What do you believe? And you just felt like, I'm connecting with people by volunteering. How else could we live out this? Peter's writing to this church. If you know anything about the letter, it was difficult times. But he said, this is your identity. This needs to be your activity. I would say this, get involved in local events. So I know Mark is serving on the PA, but I mean, Mark is great because... If there's anything happening in Ealing, Mark seems to know about it. I don't know if he follows every Ealing Twitter feed there is. You know what I'm saying? Or if he just hasn't got a life at home. No, we won't go there. (laughs) But, you know, he's suddenly saying, hey, look, some of us are going to comedy on Friday night. Anybody want to come? Oh, some of us are going. And I think, actually, this is a great way of connecting into events. You know, whether it be the blues or whether it be the jazz evening, surely this is a great way of how do we genuinely as a church be missional But there's so many events that are happening in the park in Ealing. Last one that I've just thought of. I'm just trying to be as practical as I can. How do we genuinely become missional? How do we, this is who you are, that you might declare the praise of him. I would encourage you, serve your neighbors. I I work from home. Some, Some of you will know that. And I mean, I'm probably one of these terrible neighbors. But if ever I hear like a parcel van turn up, I'm twitching at the window. Partly I think, oh, they're going to deliver another book because I like reading books. But part of me thinks, if one of my neighbours is not in, I'll take the parcel. Because then that gives me an opportunity to go around and say, oh, hi, got a parcel for you. Would you like to invite me in for-? No, no, you know what I'm saying. I just think, how can I serve my neighbours and get to know and connect with some of these people? Okay, yeah, we're bringing it in here. they are come around. I think it's just a wonderful way. I feel... Privilege, you know, that a neighbor will say something like, oh, could you look after the rabbit for a week or something? You think, why? Because actually you're connecting. We want to be those that are missional. Surely if we are to work this out, and, and I'm sort of winding myself up here, we've got to be those that love Jesus. You see, I think you don't get excited about mission, you get excited about him, and mission flows out. And I think if if you're really excited about something, you don't have to sort of plan the strategy. So if you're visiting here, you're aware, we seem to have several sort of babies coming along at the moment. Well, if you talk to like, I'll pick on Mark again, because he's going to beat me up after the service anyway now. You know, they had a baby a month ago. He doesn't plan. How do I tell people about Levi? You just talk to Mark and suddenly he's talking about Levi. Why? Because he loves him. And I think actually, if we really want to be missional, let's not get hung up on the practicals. Let's love Him. If we really love Jesus, then I think it would come out. And sometimes I think our danger even of this is that we've forgotten our identity. We've forgotten what forgiveness really is. And so I love it when we come and, and we sing and we worship because actually, what the, I think, wow, I believe this. I mean, if you forgive me that much, how could I not tell somebody else about that? That is burdened down with guilt or shame or anxiety or worry or pressure or heaviness. I know Jesus and He forgives. I think love Jesus. I don't think you'll attract people to Jesus unless you're excited about Him yourself. I think another key I would say on this, so I'm trying to get it, I, I try to be practical, but I'm also trying to think of the big thing love people. I think that actually we don't want to just see them as a friend, as a challenge or a task. We don't want to get so busy and rushed and resentful and angry because we're in a city and we want to get somewhere quick and it's not happening. I think actually we're called to genuinely love people, take time over people. I, I followed someone on, on Twitter and you can now go onto the internet and if you punch in, I think it's your name, your date of birth, they'll work out what number of person you are in the world. You know, it's a 78 billion blah, 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 person, you know what I'm saying? And the, and the danger is, we can find that quite fascinating, but everyone's been reduced to a number. And actually, we want people to know they're valued. And I think you do that by loving people. And so it's not by seeing them as a task or a project, but genuinely being interested, genuinely taking time. I would say this as well, love life. I mean, I, I think this world that we live in is God's. You know, and I think so much of it is like a theatre to display his glory. And I think surely we should be those that are positive and enthusiastic and engaging in life. Why? Because it's ultimately about him. And I think if we're like that, then I think that will help other people. We're going to conclude and then I know that we're going to pray for our community group leaders because we want to be those on mission together. I found out this week that Christianity, the word, never occurs in the Bible. Christian occurs three times in the Bible, but disciple is found over 260 times. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, Peter would be writing to us and say, come on, how can we be disciples together that are making an impact for him? I've mentioned before that I've used the book for this called Everyday Church, written by Chester and Timmis. They say this, everyday mission requires everyday missionaries rather than superheroes of the faith. I guess what I would like to bring out of the letter to us as a church today is will we be those on everyday mission? This is what we're about. I start with well, what is our calling? John Wesley, who some of you will know sort of founded the Methodist Church, says this, do all the good we can, by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, to all we know we can, to all the people we can, oh sorry, in all the time we can, as long as we can. He's saying that this is what we're to be. We're to be working out who we are in as many different contexts to as many different people as we possibly can. I think Peter was saying, come on, this is who you are in God? This surely is how it's going to be. What's he saying? You are that you may. You are that you may. I would love us to uh, pray. In fact, I know Manuel and Sandra are not here this morning, and Rob and Rachel, but if you're a, a small group leader, Anosh, you could stand up, be fantastic. and Recca's out with the kids as well, is she? Brilliant, serving us there. Uh, Edward's away as well, got a small group leaders. Anna, great stand, Anna, that'd be fantastic. Nikki, be brilliant. Mark, Abby, with the kid. <laughs> I What I want is I want these small group leaders to be really saying, great to see you, Abby. Actually, we want to be those that stir a church, not just to have small groups that we look after one another, which we do, but to have small groups that think, actually, this is it. Great, Recca. Wonderful to see you. Actually, we want to be small groups that say, we want to make an impact on this place because we understand our identity in Christ. And so I would love you to connect into one of these small groups Primarily, I think they'll do great things for you, but I'm hoping they'll catch you up on a great mission as well. I'm hoping that these small group leaders will say, oh, it's great doing this, but we'd like to go here, or we want to make an impact here. Why don't you all come to the front? That'd be great. Adam will then pray for us, and then I'm sure Richard will lead us in a song.